Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, January 17th, 2021 called Run With Me, The Call of the Disciples, given by Pastor Jonathan Dinger. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of John, chapter 1, verses 50 and 51. You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I don't know how many of you are old enough to remember these days. The days when in your home, if the phone rang, there was competition to see who could answer the phone. Because it was a wonderful thing when the phone rang. You know, when the phone rang, it might have been our relative, my Uncle Carl and Aunt Esther from Australia. It might be our, our brother calling about the birth of their, our, my parents' first grandchild. Um, it could be someone from college. It might have been, who knew? But there were no answering machines. So that's the next evolution, isn't it? In which, with an answering machine, you can screen a call, Right? And, uh, and then, or if you're at home, you can get a message and then you can choose to answer it or not or choose to lie about it or whatever, you know. Uh, there's all kinds of things you could do. And then, of course, but there was a time when people competed to get to the phone. It's going to be great. There weren't telemarketers. There, it, that was non-existent. People didn't call you for charitable contributions. They didn't do any of that stuff. It was just when the phone rang, it was somebody who actually wanted to talk to you. Now, I don't know about you, how many, uh, what's your ratio of spam to real calls? I think for me it's about three to one or five to one. I get, that's how many spam calls I get for every real genuine call. I wish I could fix that somehow without putting all my software at risk. But, you know, I don't know how to do it. But I've, I, And so anyway, I, I get so many of those. I'm guessing that many of you do too. So what do we do to avoid those spam calls? You can go on a no-call list, right? And then you get this very threatening message, right? When you call someone, this person has a no-call list. And if you're calling without them, they're going to come over and arrest you. You know, something's, I'm, being, I'm exaggerating. Exaggerating right? (laughs) So, I mean, but you can put them on a no-call list. And as I thought about that, we do that a lot now. I mean, there's lots more calls that come throughout the day than when I was a kid before answering machines and things like that. Lots, lots, lots more calls come in, but boy, there's a lot more screening of calls. And in fact, even people that we know come through and we screen them, don't we? Caller ID. It's maybe a blessing. It's maybe not such a blessing. Because even people that we know and love, we might put off or ignore. You see where I'm going with this? If I had a law point right here at the beginning, I'm wondering how many of us have moved Jesus to the do not call list. Please don't call me. Or when Jesus does call, we quickly do one of a number of things. We screen it. We wait for the message to see if we like it. We, uh, we say we'll call you back later. We ignore it. Or we decide, I want to put Jesus on the don't disturb me. 
I think we're tempted to do that because that's how much control phones and things have given us in our life now, or at least we think we have that control. You didn't have that control before. You picked up the phone, you were in. Because if you didn't pick it up, you missed them, and you had no idea who it was. It might have been Publishers Clearinghouse, and you might have been the big winner. You know, I mean, so you had to answer the phone. You had to at least answer the phone. So Jesus is calling his disciples. And lest you think, you know, like these, you, I think these three readings we had, and it's interesting, our church is a tradition in which we read a reading from the Old Testament and one from the, the letters, the epistles, and one from the gospel. We just do it so that we're teaching the whole counsel of God throughout the course of the year. We want you to get a broad swath. Um, and one of those readings was challenging too, wasn't it? On sexual morality. It wasn't, how does that fit? And it's interesting to me because it's easy with the Samuel one. God is calling Samuel and he has to figure out that it's God who's calling. And it's finally Eli who clues him in. And then he hears God's call and the life of Samuel is, a, is an astounding one of how he answers God's call. So that fits, doesn't it? What about the sexual immorality one? That's an interesting one. Because, you know, here's the thing. There's a lot of calls in our life today, aren't there? There's a lot of voices screaming at us to do and to be and to act a certain way. This is not the Bible being um, prudish or backward or not very uh, uh, open-minded. This is the Bible saying, don't you know who you are? You're not just nothing. You're not, you, you are purchased and won. You have been paid for by a Savior who gave up everything for you and then chose to as his ho- have your body be the residence of his Holy Spirit. Don't you know who you are? It's not God whacking people for blowing it, for messing up, right? Because we do. This is a broken part of our nature too. But God is still calling to us, just as Jared said, even though he knows exactly who we are. He knows all our history. He knows all about us. And he still calls us because he says, I want you to know who you are. So these all fit together. And then here in the gospel, we're going to unpack this a little bit more because I think that's the challenge. Too often I'm afraid that I want to put Jesus calls and I do the ignore or I'll get back to that or I dismiss it. Or, um, or ultimately, sadly, we can go on the no call list. So Jesus calls and these guys follow. Why? I mean, I said it in the intro. Does Jesus put a spell on him? Does Jesus like massively handsome and charismatic and, you know, so compelling in his person and so forth? And some people argue that. You know, the Bible tells us a little differently, though. Isaiah reminds us that the Messiah was, he was not very fun to look at. He wasn't particularly handsome. In fact, he was like one from whom men hide their faces. Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected, right? I mean, Jesus, in other words, physically speaking, and he didn't bring an impose, he was was human, fully human. And in that way, his divinity came through his word and action. So Jesus doesn't put a spell on him. So why do they follow? And at least in this passage, I'm hopefully it gives you five reasons for them, but hopefully for us too. Why would we follow? And when it's challenging to follow, I hope, I pray these words can give you some encouragement to follow, to strengthen our faith and encourage us to follow. Okay, first one. First one is this. 
Um, so I got, I, um, I got a call this uh, about a week ago from a pastor in Ontario, Pilgrim Lutheran Church in Ontario, Oregon. So it's a small church. They've had a preschool forever. And their pastor is a second career guy. He was Air Force for many, many years. And he retired from the Air Force, went to seminary. Now he's a pastor at this church in Ontario. Small church. They worship maybe 70 people, 80 people. And, uh, and he came to a conference we had here in September where we Zoomed in people from all over the Northwest, pastors and congregations, and we had a conference. So we were here. We had about 15 pastors here watching it on our screen. And so we shared, as, as we had lunch and meals, we had time to visit. And he told me about his congregation. And he said, yeah, something that's interesting is we've got a piece of property right next to us. And I hear that, you know, I hear that they're, they're, they, someone might be, you know, it's just a vacant piece of property. They might sell it. And he said, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know if there's, and I said to him, I immediately stopped him. And I said, Leroy, you must acquire that property. It is a non-negotiable. You must acquire it. It is adjacent to your property. They're not making any more. Right? They're not making any more property that's adjacent to your property. You must acquire it. Do what you need to do. Sharing it with your kind. Anyway, he took that to heart and bought it. And now he said, now we're, he said, we heard your story at Grace about how your school kind of builds bridges into the community. And he said, now we're talking about expanding our preschool and doing before school care and after school care and tutoring things. And, you know, and I said, that is awesome. He said, would you come over and cheer for it at our congregation? So I'm going over there January 25th. I'm going to drive over to Ontario. I'm going to meet with their congregation. I'm going to share and talk and visit with them about what's going on. And it's interesting because I said to him, why are you asking me? Just call the education executive from our denomination. Call them. They'll come in. And he said, no, they're going to come too. But he said, you've been through it. You've done this a few times. And, and we have built preschools, built preschool buildings, expanded preschool ministries, added before and after school care in a number of settings. I've had the joy of doing that in a congregation. He said, you come with some credentials. He said, you've got passion and you've got energy, but you have some credentials too. That's the thing. Jesus comes with credentials. In the passage before this, John gives testimony. In fact, I want to make sure I read it. And if you've got a Bible at home, this is one of the advantages of being at home. You can just get up and go grab your Bible. Um, if you're here, you can look at it on your phone too. Verses in the passage before this, you have this whole section um, with, uh, with John telling, talking about Jesus saying, look, that's the Lamb of God. In the couple verses before, he said even more. He said, behold, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John's um, Jewish listeners would know exactly what he's talking about. Passover lamb, scapegoat, they would know all about that. So he's pointing to Jesus, that person, and says that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, so, um, and then John also bears witness to Jesus' baptism, and then God revealing the Trinity to John. And John says this, he describes the baptism, and then he concludes with this, verse 34 I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So not once, twice, three times, John bears witness. That's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I bear witness and testify that this is God's chosen one. And thirdly, finally, look, that's the Lamb of God. So John, Jesus comes with credentials. 
It does not matter how much passion, how much energy, how excited you may be about something if you don't have credentials. And Jesus comes with them. It's born witness. We have a trustworthy witness. We have a, a trustworthy witness to who we can trust. And so it's interesting because <clears throat> that's one of the challenges today, isn't it? In the moment we're living in in our country, who do you believe? And uh, sadly, what I've kind of come to, come to uh, conclude, my conclusion, and I know I'm tempted by this too, don't get me wrong, is there are so many opinions out there. What I'm finding many, many people are doing is, I have come to a conclusion. I will, know, I will now go find three experts who share my conclusion, and I will just quote them. Rather than, what's actually the evidence? Let's get the evidence. Let's examine it from all sides. Let's think about it from all sides, and let's see what the actual truth is. That, that process seems to have uh, evaporated somehow, and people are going around finding voices that will support what they already believe. Jesus is not that voice, my friends. Jesus is not that voice. He speaks in a different language, but he is one who we discover we can trust. Second point. I've had, I've had people really, um, and very genuinely and, and very tenderly, ask me if I would speak into the moment of our nation's kind of unrest and the cap- events at the Capitol and so forth, and in fact kind of wondered why I didn't talk about it last week And you know what I find? It's interesting. Obviously, when people break the law, I find that deeply distressing. I find that we're blessed here in this nation with a rule of law. And it doesn't matter if people I disagree with also broke the law. It's irrelevant to me. Um, The law applies to me. Um, And so when we follow the rule of law, things go pretty well. And when people break the law, they should... uh, To me, it's a no-brainer. It's just kind of a no-brainer. But here's my problem with speaking to it, especially from this forum... We're also in an era in which so much of of major, huge issues, racism and economic inequality and, you know, um, power and authority and whatever it is, and people are trying to answer those questions with a bumper sticker or a yard sign or, you know, a blog and, and, or, or, you know, or my goodness, you got it. I, I saw it on the internet, you know, and I'm getting my answers there. You cannot have, you cannot discuss those matters with a bumper sticker. You need more than three minutes. And this is not the place I want to talk about it anyway, because that's why we're focusing so hard on the red letter challenge. We're going to do that again. I'll talk about it at the end of service too, but it's 40 days in the words of Jesus. We did it once. We did it in the fall in 2019. Our desire is to do it in Lent. And I think it's so appropriate because with the cacophony of voices screaming at us from so many angles, do you think there's some wisdom in sitting at the feet of Jesus for 40 days? I don't know. Sound okay? I think it's a great idea. I think it's necessary. And I hope hope that we'll all participate at some level, to some degree to sit at the feet of Jesus for 40 days. Because in this second one, here's the challenge. So all I'm going to say again and again is, obey the law, fix your eyes on Jesus, and let's walk that way. That's what you'll hear from me in this place. Show grace and kindness and patience. Obey the law. Eyes on Jesus. But look at what Jesus does. 
He's so different than what we hear today. Jesus asks, listens, and invites. So earlier in these verses that are before it, when two disciples heard him say this, John the Baptist, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? Come and you will see. I love this passage. Now you can imagine, you know, it's always funny. You don't know how Jesus actually says that because these disciples are following around after Jesus, right? Tagging along. They're kind of his shadow or whatever. You can almost imagine Jesus stopping and turning around and saying, what do you want? Right? Quit your bugging me. What are you doing? You know, but clearly we don't believe that's how Jesus said it. I really think it's much more this way. What do you want? What are you seeking? What are you after? Because clearly they had been following John the Baptist. And John was talking about a baptism of repentance. And Jesus is the forgiveness of sins. It's awesome. John knows that. He says, I have to become less. He has to become more. Mine is the message that goes before grace. Repent. Receive God's grace. And so it's a fascinating thing. I love this. Jesus says, what are, you, what are you hungry for? What are you looking for? What are you seeking? And so Jesus asks, is there much asking going on in our culture right now? Not much asking. And then if we do happen to ask and somebody shares with us, far too often we're guilty of immediately forming my rebuttal to them because they're clearly in, in error if they don't agree with me. And so Jesus not only asks, but then he listens and then invites. And this is a third piece. Again, I'm speaking some law here into our culture, into us. And we don't invite either. You know, if if a person disagrees with us, why in the world would I want to spend like any more moments with them than, than I possibly have to? Yuck! You know, really, the idea is Jesus asks, he listens, and then he says, come with me. Follow me. Spend time with me. And so what a blessing, because this is the love part of this. Because all of those things require time and patience and love. Jesus loves them. When you love someone, you do ask them. You ask how how they are, what they're facing, what they're seeking, how are they doing. You listen to their response. And then you invite time together. This is the love part. Jesus loves them. Jesus honors them. It's why I love the three readings we had today. Because Jesus honors us by calling us. I tell people this. uh, um, Every once in a while, periodically throughout my ministry in in three or four different settings, I've had teams. Ten or eight, ten, twelve people on a team. And I get a a phone call from another church and they'd say, Hey, this person on your team... We're interested in maybe interviewing them or calling them. This happened with Jim, with Pastor Von Bush. And, you know, they would they talk to you about strengths and weaknesses and personality traits and working style and on and on. And then in the end, it's kind of like, well, what's your opinion? And I would say, here's what, I, here's what I'm going to tell you. If they're working on our team, I cannot give them a higher compliment. If we thought they were, if we thought they were good enough to be part of this team... I, I don't know how I can give you a higher, give that person a higher compliment. That's what Jesus is doing for you. He wants you on the team. This is not meant to have minions. Jesus is not assembling minions. 
Jesus is assembling family members, friends, team members. And so Jesus honors us. He honors us from the start. Third thing, I don't know about you. So anyway, you see these chairs we're sitting in? We bought those, and uh, Louise Lee gave us a wonderful gift uh, from her estate, and we bought more, too. We have more coming. Uh, because one of these days, there's going to be chairs in between there, and your leg room's going away. Right? Oh, too bad. That's why you must sit in the front row. Front row has great leg room. That's what we have. So anyway, the, um, we have more coming. So I had him delay it a little bit because of the pandemic and everything. So I get an email, and it's from a guy I talked with before from, uh, from the chair manufacturer. They're like in Nashville. And before they produce these 250 chairs, additional chairs, they want to know, is the order right? So I get an email. It's like a week ago, and I don't respond to it. There's lots of busy, crazy stuff's all going on. So I just, I put it aside. I get an email like yesterday or two days ago that says, this is all it says, second notice. (laughs) That's all it says. I think he was a little peeved um, that I didn't respond swiftly. And that's not my style. My style is to respond very swiftly. Typically, as soon as I can, if I can, if I'm sitting at my desk, your email comes in, I try to write you a response. If you call, I try to respond. Certainly that day, I'm not perfect, but boy, it's a value of mine because I also work with people where I don't hear for days and days and days and then weeks, and I go, didn't you care? That's what that says to me. I love this. Jesus moves without delay. He's not frantic. And he is certainly not unprepared. It may seem to you that when Jesus calls to you, he's acting swiftly. And you're not ready for it. But he is. Because before the foundation of time, Jesus Christ, God Almighty, had planned for exactly what he was going to call you into and to be and to do. That's God's plan. He's not acting rashly. He is acting in perfect timing, and to us it seems swift. It seems quick. Jesus moves without delay. He does that with Peter. Andrew brings him to his brother Peter, who's called Simon, and then Jesus says, I'll call you Cephas. It's another name for Peter. It means the same thing. It's rock or stone. I'm going to call you Peter. There's no dilly-dallying around. Well, Peter or Simon, what do you think your name could be if you were part of my merry crew? Or let's have some experiences together, and then we'll decide later. Nope. Peter, let's go. And so Jesus acts without delay. I find that not unprepared, not insensitive, but urgent. There's a sense of urgency. That's the tagline here, and purpose. Jesus knows exactly what it's about, and it matters. There's an urgency. And then you get this great little scene. Now we're point four. We get to this very interesting scene with this guy called Nathaniel. And so Andrew, and then it's probably John, the apostle John, and they're the first two. Andrew goes to his brother Peter. Jesus meets him, says, I'm going to call you Peter. And then the next scene is what we read for our gospel reading that's printed for you. And so Andrew and Philip, then you get Philip. Jesus says, follow me. And then they go to Nathanael. Now they're down in Jerusalem. And they go to Nathanael and they say, we have found... Well, let's see. What's it say? When, um, let me get it to you. Let me read it for you. Um, we have found, Philip goes to him and says, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We found the Messiah. And what's Nathaniel's? Nazareth. What are you kidding? It's a great line, isn't it? Can anything good come from income? You know, 
forgive me, forgive me. Or remember the old Pace Picante, New York City, right? Um, Can anything good come from that little grease spot on the road, right? And it's interesting, now, I'll be serious with you for a minute here because, and I'm being serious the whole time here, but Nazareth, you know what that word literally meant to the people of that era? It meant despised. A Nazarene was a despised person. Jesus the despised. Isn't that interesting? So it's interesting, these people from Jerusalem, big city folks, where the temple was, the center of the religion, can anything good come from there? It's up in the hick country, it's Galilee. And so they says, and I love Philip's answer. Well, I don't know, check it out. Why don't you come and see? So he does. And then, isn't it great? Here's Jesus' line, right? When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. You know, nothing false. There is no guile. And you just hear it. I just hear Jesus kind of like laying it on him. And Nathanael goes, do you know me? And he says, I saw you under the fig tree, Nathanael, dissing on me. That's what I heard. I heard you hammering me because my hometown is Nazareth. And Nathanael is like, oh, oops. Right? And then he says, what's his, what's his response? Rabbi, you're the son of God. You are the king of Israel, the Messiah, right? You're the Messiah. And I love Jesus' response. You thought that was something? You thought that was a thing? That I, could, that I knew what you said, even though I wasn't with you? Because here's the point in number four. Jesus cuts to the heart of it. You think that's all I knew? I know everything about you. And I love this part of this message. Jesus cuts right to the heart of it. There are no masks with Jesus Christ. Isn't that a weird thing right now with masks? I see people and I cannot recognize them. I'm just, and I'm so embarrassed sometimes because I should know this person and then I just, I don't recognize them. And that's why we wear masks, don't we? Spiritually, figuratively, so that people won't recognize. There are no masks with Jesus Christ. Don't get me wrong, I'm making no political statement here. Don't say, I'm not wearing a mask anymore because Jesus doesn't. Okay, don't be doing that, okay? Um, But with him there is no mask. He knows it all and still invites. Still invites you to be with him. That, to me, is so overwhelming that someone would know everything in my heart, in my mind, everything, and that he would still, how could he possibly invite me to be his? And he does. The measure of his love and grace. We are known by him, but this is the point, so that he might be fully known by us, so that we might know him completely. And that's what Jesus is longing to. And then the last thing is this. Again, I'm going through these reasons. These are the why would they follow him reasons. He comes with credentials. He asks, he listens, he invites. Jesus moves with urgency and purpose. And Jesus cuts to the heart and still invites us. And the last thing is this. You know, we hear this a lot. Um, I love, we we have a couple really cool ministries here that have been very active during the pandemic. One of them is the Barnabas Ministry. They write cards to people. You probably, maybe, have received one on a birthday or an anniversary or if you experienced a loss, a loved one, and they just do a beautiful job of writing because you don't get many handwritten things anymore, do you? And so they write cards. And then also we have teams of people 
especially for folks who are unable to be here present with us who are regularly calling folks. We're trying. We're not perfect, but we're trying. Which, by the way, we would welcome other callers to help us do that so people get more touches that way. We would love that. And so often people say, boy, it was the little things that mattered. Right? Those are not little things. First of all, just so you know that. I mean, in the grand scheme of world economics and uh, the movement of nations and people in war... I guess you don't count, maybe we don't count those as little things. Here's my last one. Jesus does big. Jesus does big. If you wanted to write on there, you could write the word significant next to it. Because that's really kind of what I mean. But Jesus does big. The little things are so big for two reasons. Because they are part of a bigger thing, a whole thing, that Jesus is trying to accomplish. In other words, if the whole ministry of Grace Lutheran was writing you a card on your birthday, well, that would be stupid and a waste of time. But the card is written to you because you're part of the family of God and we're longing for your faith to be strengthened in such a way that you stand firm in times of trial and you reflect the love of Christ at every opportunity. We want you to be loved and safe. We want all those things to be true. So are they little things? Well, maybe, but they're not little to you. And they are not little in the scheme of healing, hurts, recovering faith, restoring trust. God is doing a great thing, a big thing. Because if he does... Those little things in you, one by one by one, it becomes a huge thing because it changes the world. That's what Jesus is doing. It's in support of the, it's support of the big picture, the significant picture, which in the end reveals himself as Savior and Lord, forgiving our sins, knowing our past, knowing our brokenness, and still loving and healing, transforming us providing aid and comfort to a people who might then follow where he leads. May it be so, for Jesus' sake. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org and make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.